You're listening to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Wyoming Deloy. I'm a coach in Portland, Oregon, who works with people across the US and occasionally the world. I help people to transition from where they are to where they want to be, removing limiting beliefs, barriers, and imposter syndrome along the way. On this show, I bring you conversations with leaders in wellness, spirituality, healing, mindfulness, and more. We also dive into themes around intuition, equity, racial justice, and what it means to be living here in the 21st century. I'm excited to bring you each episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And if you love the show, leave a five-star review so others can find us. If you want to learn more about my work and what I do, go to ellenwyomingdeloy.com. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome back. It's been a while and um, I haven't done a podcast or a video episode in a bit, so I thought I would do one. I just wrapped up with um, a client today and our conversation was so, I found it so interesting and I think it's something that many, many people are wrestling with. And so I wanted to talk about it in broad strokes to just kind of share some of the insight and wisdom that um, my client and I gleaned through our conversation today. Um, so, uh, a, a little bit about me, if it's, if it's been a while, or if this is the first episode for you, um, I'm Ellen Wyoming Deloy. I am a, uh, a coach. Um, I'm also an intuitive. I do intuitive reading sessions for people. Um, and I'm also a consultant to do organizational development work, uh, communications, mindful leadership and diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's quite the spread of things that I do. Um, but I love coaching work because it's one of those places where everything gets to come together. Um, and I'll start that with just a brief introduction on that really briefly. What's so interesting about coaching is that it's still about systems, right? Like I love systems. I love looking at, um, function and dysfunction. Um, I, as, as a human, right, we get to experience a lot of dysfunction, um, but we don't always get to experience the solutions towards making something functional to make it harmonious and work really well. And I love that, uh, at an organizational context, of course, because it impacts so many people. Um, when you really clear up agreements with how one works with one another, what the clarity around expectations are and how we communicate, how we give and receive feedback, how we move the dial forward on equity, diversity, and inclusion. So it's not just a training. So it's actually something that we can internalize and understand. That changes lives. That changes workplace environment, changes work culture, changes productivity. And it can also really empower people to feel really comfortable and safe where they work so that it does shift the quality of their life. And so I love that. But I came to coaching as well because as I was doing broader systemic work, um, I was always still working with people one-to-one. Like how do they personally move forward on this, that, or the other thing. And I think it's really funny. My, my background is, um, like my training is in urban and regional planning and in community development. And really it's just looking holistically at systems and what are the components, um, that are going into it and how do people with all of our rationality and irrationality operate inside of a system. And then that kind of dictates what comes out. And I really like to look at like, how do we manage 
especially the emotional and rational sides of ourselves so that we have more choice and we feel less at the whim of what happens so that we're more in control. And it's that sense of personal locus of control um, within change and transition that I think really helps in systemic work, but obviously also helps with personal work. And that's kind of that bridge. And I mean, the intuition part fits in because I'm an intuitive. And if I can read energy and kind of get a feel for what's going on between what people are also saying, it's really helpful. And then when I do it really intentionally in like a one-to-one reading or a session, it's great because I can just zone in right on that person's um, energetic space and bring visual and voice to um, maybe something that they feel or they know kind of intuitively or has been nudging them unconsciously and kind of bring it to light. Um, That's really what it is. I literally am just reading energy um, when I do that. And I do that in my coaching sessions from time to time. Sometimes we'll do a pause and we'll kind of do like an energetic review of what's going on, or I'll guide my client through their own so they can learn to do it for themselves. I think that is the most empowering tool, not to have someone else do it for you, but to learn to do it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't do so much of the intuitive work at the organizational level. That's a jump that maybe isn't quite ready yet for all of the places I tend to work. Let's circle back to what, what today is about. And I want, I want today to talk with you about judgment, discipline, and resistance. Um, those were kind of the big three themes that I was talking about with my client today. And they, they, they approached today really pragmatically. They were like, look, I got some information from a doctor about X, Y, and Z thing. And like, nothing is panic inducing, but I'm not, I'm not stoked about some of it. Like I want to work on it, but I'm a little bit worried about how I'm going to be able to do that. And they kind of went on to talk a little bit and I have worked with them for um, a while now and I know them fairly well. So I I understood sort of like the things they were wrestling with around this ability to follow through on oneself, right? To make a commitment to yourself and choose yourself and make, make the choices to um, do the thing. And this is not unique to this one person. I work with many different people in, in my group coaching sessions. I also do group coaching. I should mention that. But in my group coaching, as well as my one-to-one coaching, as well as in working in systemic work, we can all know the thing that we are supposed to do, the quote unquote, we should do this and it will make us healthier, make us happier, make our bodies feel better, take less, uh, take some pain away and all these different things. And yet, it can be really hard. It can be really insurmountable to make that choice every single time and not default to, I'm going to take a break and just scroll on my phone instead right now. I'm going to take a break and just go have like go rummage in the pantry and like snack on a bunch of random stuff before or after dinner or before bed or whatever, right? There are all these, and I'm like, I'm definitely naming the things I do too. I'm not immune to any of this. Um, very intentional about my attention on it when I catch myself in it. And so I want to kind of say that too, like, I'm not like preaching from some mountaintop here. I really just like to get into it and um, getting into it as being someone who also experiences it and then gets real curious about what is going on. And that's what, that's what we did today. So she kind of brought up that she's like, well, a couple things, like there are people in my life who I know have conditions and some of them manage them really, really well. And like they've reversed, um, 
I don't know, like they've reversed the condition to where it's like the doctor's like, you're clear. You don't even have this anymore. Don't worry about it. Right. Or they're watching people in their lives continue to sort of like understand and know what they're supposed to be doing and then like still never dealing with it and never doing it so that their health or their condition continues to deteriorate or just kind of stay at like suboptimal. Right. And if there's anything about the pressure in our society to be optimal, like it's very hard because there's so much judgment on it. And that was the first thing that we actually, um, sp- we actually talked about because she was kind of talking about, she was like, I'm so afraid of what's happening because I don't want people to judge me for how this is going to go. Like if I'm going to make it or if I'm not going to do well at it, like I don't want their attention on me. And I was like, yeah, who would? And I had to like, I'll just say for a moment for myself as Ellen, like I understand what that feels like. Cause I definitely grew up in a home where like, if you got sick, it was kind of your fault. Like, um, you weren't taking good enough care of yourself. So obviously your immune system was like run down. So obviously you got sick. So it's your own dang fault. Like I understand that. And here's what I want to say. I know that not every family is like this. Not every, uh, uh, like social group is like this. Some people are incredibly supportive and go, Oh my gosh, you're sick. How can I like, do you need me to bring you some soup? I have a good friend actually, who's so thoughtful. Every time like something happens, I'll get a text like, Hey, do you do just checking? I'm going to go to the store. Do you want me to get something for you? As, as opposed to like, you know, me going out with a fever to have to get something. It's like, it, I was like COVID brought out the best in some of us too. It was like really great. Um, but it's not either here nor there. It's the perception of the judgment. And so if you're somebody who um, possibly looks towards others for approval, like there's a whole condition around people pleasing. It's really dominant in women. Um, it happens a lot. It doesn't happen in all women. It doesn't happen in all men. And it doesn't happen in those who do not abide by the gender spectrum of binary male, female. Um, but there, there are a lot of conditions that kind of come out of like, we're not that far out of like really traditional gender roles. We're not really outside of like, um, societal roles. I mean, like, good Lord, look at Afghanistan. The Taliban came back in and they're like, yeah, we just really can't have women doing anything. They need to be at home only like human societies have evolved out of like really different cultural expectations and gender is, is a big part of it. And I'm rambling like this because, it still shows up even if we are a feminist, even if we are empowered, even if like you make more than your partner and traditionally 50 years ago, you would have been a stay-at-home parent, right? Like it does, it still is there in the cultural miasma is what I'm saying. And it shows up, it shows up as judgments and resistance. And that's what kind of what I want to say is that there's an energy out there of how things have been for so long that even if we are mentally shifting and taking really big strides forward and like being very embracing and inclusive of like people showing up how they are, where they are and who they are, right? This is not even to like begin to talk about the disparities between like race and class, right? That have happened out of like social constructs. We just have them in the atmosphere. And um, that's where this comes from. So something as simple as like, they're going to judge me if I don't take care of myself and get better can really have a huge impact in our ability to take the step to make choices for ourselves that are outside of the view of others. And it gets tricky when it's like family or close friends or whoever. Um, but what what is really important is to recognize it as the energy of resistance. Okay. So that's what I want to say. And I'll kind of walk you through what I mean. The judgment that like my client talked about perceiving 
anticipating from others is also like not something she misidentifies with doing to others herself, right? And I can say the same thing for myself. Like, oh, look at those choices that person made. They made the bed. They're going to lie in it, right? Like, I think we all do that to some extent. But as she was talking about it, the first thing with the judgment, I was just like, all judgment is, is the fear of our mortality in some ways, and especially with related to health. And this is what I mean by that. Like, if I'm going to sit here looking at two people, one person's done everything really well. One person has um, like had a really hard time making the choices to support themselves. Um, I could sit here in judgment and blame one person completely and like applaud and praise the other, but it has nothing to do with me. Nothing at all. Even if I care and love for these two people, their choices about their health and their life have nothing to do with me. It is not about me. It is about them. And for me to be placing judgment, either applauding them or disparaging them is not my job. Here's what it really is. It's me expressing my fears. I am so afraid of them making choices that prove to me that it's not surmountable and or that prove to me that they don't value my love as much as I value the love I have for them, that I'm going to be mad at them if they don't do everything that goes the way that I expect it to go, right? It's it, The judgment is really talking more about me and my fears and like them either validating or not validating them. And the person who's doing really, really well, my judgment is like, oh, they've done such a great job. It's kind of relief. It's like relief. It's either A, they've done all the things and they've shown me that it's possible to surmount this challenge, or B, they've done all the things and we're very close and therefore it's they validated that they love me just as much as I love them because they have taken care of themselves for me, right? That, that's twisted, but people do that, right? Like that's a way that we think about it. And that's a, an origin point for judgment. Judgment comes from the fear of not having our something validated or an expectation met. And it has nothing to do with the other person. So if somebody else is sick, the best place, and this is the thing, right? Everyone's all about non-judgment these days, right? But it's very hard to sit in non-judgment when it's so tangled up with a lot of our other emotions, a lot of our other programming. I, I'm going to bet that most people listening to this did not grow up with principles of non-judgment as a foundational family characteristic in like the culture of their upbringing, right? It probably was judgmental. So-and-so snubbed so-and-so's mom who said so-and-so about someone's kid or these kids did these things and there's judgments. Like even if the mom or the dad was, or the parent, don't mean to be always so binary, I apologize. There was, even if there was a parent around who was just like, oh, like that sounded really harsh and was very open about it. Inside, they were probably going, that kid's a jerk. How dare they do that to my child because of the fear of their child being hurt right? Like we, we, we're born into bodies that judge it happens. And, but we have to, if we notice it, we can make better choices. And if we really get into it and we notice how it's not ours to have anyway, we can find a lot of inner peace. And that's a hard, it's a hard leap, but we can do it. And so I wanted to say that because that was the first part of the thing was her fear of being judged by others for not for not meeting an expectation the world might have about how she's supposed to deal with like some kind of health condition, right? Whose job is that? That's no one's job but hers. It's only hers, right? So that was the first step. It's just like, let's just call out judgment for what judgment is. Judgment is other people's fear that we have to handle. And if you don't want to handle it, just know that it's other people's fear and it's not your job 
to handle it and remind yourself of that through that phrase. And it might take quite a bit more, especially if they're very close, because there's a lot of entanglement that happens with family members, of course. Um, But like, I remember laying in the bathtub when I was pregnant and my mom was visiting. Uh, I was probably like a seven. I was very, I was big. And I remember just being like, oh my God, the bathtub, because the buoyancy of the bathtub water just like felt like, you know, Epsom salts and just kind of like laying in there. And I was in there for quite a while and I was actually really tired and I kind of fell asleep. But I mean, this water was not deep. This was like, it was covering up to almost my belly. My little dome was like out of the water and my head was like on like, I probably should have had a bath pillow, but I bet I had just like a washcloth or something like on the, against the back of the bathtub should have had, doesn't, who's judging me? No one's judging me. Um, but my mom, very chronic worrier. I've always called her the warrior of worry. Cause she's like, she worries about everything. She had a lot of, she has, she had, she has, she continues to have a lot of anxiety. And so of course me being in the bathroom for like 30 minutes and like, she doesn't hear the water running anymore. Cause I'm not like reheating the tub as one does. Um, and I didn't answer her right away. I heard her come, but I was kind of like sleepy and she's like knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And I like didn't answer right away. And like in the second that I was about to be like, I'm here, I'm fine. She plunges into the bathroom and it's it's like on her and she's like so angry at me <laughs> for not responding in a timely manner. I do want to, I mean, like my mom is She's not I like on the spectrum of anxiety, but she's on the spectrum of mental health challenges at times. So I, I'll say that as well. Like she's acting a little bit more extreme maybe than some other parents would act um, about this, but it's an example of her owning it. Right. And, and, and like her, she was actually punishing herself. I realized um, thinking that something had happened to me and then was therefore very angry when I did not reply in time because she had spent all this time judging herself for not being a better mom, taking care of her pregnant daughter who's taking a bath. I was like 35, right? Like I was fine. I know it's a geriatric pregnancy at 35, but I was still fine. Anyway, and like all that turmoil in her when it wasn't it wasn't her job to worry about. I mean, maybe it is her job as in her mind as her as my mom. But it wasn't her job to like punish herself for not being good enough. It wasn't her job to um, be mad at me for not like not seeing the situation for what it was. This might be a little bit of a sidetrack. Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back. So judgment. My mom made a judgment. Something was wrong and then everything happened and it was wrong. And it created a whole kerfuffle in the bathroom, right? And it was me having to handle her fear. I don't want to have to handle her fear. That's her fear. And I want to talk her down from it. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't, but that's her stuff. But oh, I maybe the point was that families are entangled and it can be more complicated when it's your mom. Um, so that too. Uh, but if it's just people, like who cares? It's just their business. You get to know a lot about their fears the more they judge you. You can know way more about how they're judging themselves, which is really challenging. But maybe can raise some compassion for where they're coming from. Who I just have the if I yeah I, <laughs> all the times I've had hot judgment moments and then I, I took a beat and I took a breath and then I realized what was probably going on. I've always wanted to go and like hug the person more than anything. And I know that's me. That might be a little different. Like I do this work really intentionally all the time. I've told <laughs> different stories about situations about that. Um, we'll come back. So number one, let's let's call the judgment for what it is. Let's diffuse it. Let's send it out. Now let's go to the part where my client is sitting here worried about not having the discipline. That was the word that they used was the discipline 
to follow through for themselves, thus then harboring like all the judgment people were going to throw at them. Right. But really what this is, I was like, it's not about discipline because you can have all the discipline in the world, but if your resistance to choosing yourself is so high, you're just going to keep bouncing, bouncing, bouncing off of the resistance. Okay. So discipline, like we think discipline is the answer and discipline might be a method that we end up using at some point, but disempowering the resistance is the key. And here is how resistance shows up for us in, in, a million and one different ways or 8 billion ways because we're so many different people on the planet, but it will always show up as keeping us separate from our true selves. Okay. So this is the thing that I'm going to try to break down here. Everyone's probably had a nice, deep, beautiful moment of inner peace of a, of a, of a place where like, no one is asking anything of you. No one is, uh, you would not have to do anything for anyone else. There's no conflict and you're just able to kind of lose yourself, but in yourself, like you're not gone. You're not passed out. You're not high. You're not escaping, right? You're not in your phone. You're just present. And for some of when I say this, I realize for some listening, this might have been an experience that may have been a while ago. And that's okay because it is a messy and complex world and we develop many strategies to avoid discomfort. But there are also moments of deep peace when we can go through the discomfort into this peace of ourselves. And it's why I named my business Inner Light Coaching, because I really want the inner light inside of all of us to be like bright and to be awakened. It's always there. And that's the thing. And I, I just fundamentally believe it. I've, I've seen it in myself in meditation that there's, and I'll just describe what I've seen because maybe it'll resonate with somebody, but I was laying for a body scan. Actually, I'll just do a recent one. Very recently I was laying for a body scan and I was really proud of myself because it was a 45 minute long one. It was one of the ones that uh, John Kabat-Zinn teaches. You can find it on YouTube, Um, but he's the one who has started a lot of the work out of uh, the University of Massachusetts on mindfulness-based stress reduction. I've done a couple trainings in that. MBSR is the shorthand for it. But anyway, body scans are a part of it. And a 45 minute one can often put you to sleep because it's so relaxing, right? But that's not the meditative state. That's falling asleep. And that's fine. It's also good for us. Rest is totally radical. Let's do it more. But in the body scan, I was just in it. I was just in it. It was just like going through my toe, going through my ankle, like focusing my energy and my attention, not even my energy, just my attention onto different parts of my body. And then at the very end, all of a sudden I I understood that within me, kind of like if I could be seeing into my bone marrow, there was um, there's light. And it's not like I was seeing the light literally, but I was feeling the light within me that is always there. But what happens is we kind of um, put dampeners on it with the things that overtake us in the day-to-day. And especially if you're like an older person, like I'm in my early 40s now, um, life has weighed down. Like we've gone through stuff and there's stuff we haven't cleared out of our space or there's stuff we still kind of hold on to. Like we got some, we all got some baggage back there. And it's that weight of that energy of that quote unquote baggage, right? That we, and that is the retelling of painful stories that is holding on to an identity of being wounded. All that kind of stuff dampens our light because our light is just pure. It is like, the light we had when we were born. And it's why so many people enjoy 
really young children, like baby, like not the kind that can get tantrumy and have problems yet, but like the really, like when they're in their beauty of their newness and they, you can tell that they're still kind of otherworldly. They're not really human yet. And there's just a sense of peace. And they'll like, they'll make that eye connection with you. My, uh, a friend of mine at dinner had her almost two year old. And I forgot how joyful it was to just make eye contact with like a really young toddler and have them see you because they're not guarded. There's no blocking. They're just curious. And if you start to smile at them, they'll start to play with you with their eye contact. And it's just, that's that light that I'm talking about that exists in young children and is still inside of us. And maybe it's young children for some of us who enjoy, who enjoy kids. I know it's not everybody's deal. Um, but who, who we still have it in us, no matter how cantankerous and angry and bitter and resentful we are, that little core of the light that we came in with is still there because it's the thing that still powers our body that keeps us alive, right? In my mind, it's like the energizer battery source of nuclear energy inside of us that comes from somewhere. And so we just call it divine light. Um, you can, if you are religious, you might attribute it to like God um, or a different religion. Um, but for me, I just, it, it all kind of blends into this oneness of like, there's something else animating this body that I'm inhabiting, this like meat suit, right? And it's the life of, and the light of who I really am. And I think I, I get to have multiple, I think I get to have multiple lives. Because when I'm reading, I read multiple lives sometimes. So it's interesting. Um, but that aside, um, it's in us. And so that's the space that if you have that moment of deep peace, or if you've had a moment with a pet that you're just really relaxed and you have like a really beautiful, like fur baby with you, or like a child to have deep eye contact with, or a loved one, or even like, we can even imagine this if it hasn't been very recent since we've been able to experience it, because even imagining it can make it real for us, because we just need to have the sensation of that kind of care and affection or calmness within us to, to tap into that. And so when I was in this body scan, I had this sense of lightness throughout me. And I immediately understood. And that's the reason it made me think of bone marrow, because that made me think of stem cells, which made me think of regeneration. And I was like, oh, this is how I regenerate. This is what real rest and healing is, is allowing this light to not be dampened and allowing it to permeate through all of my all of myself, like all of my physical self, my cellular structures, right? Just to visualize it. And then also like my energetic self and to let it kind of radiate outwards of me. I could feel myself like boosting a little bit with just like the knowledge of it. And what was really interesting around the same uh, time frame, I used, uh, I wonder if I even have it here to show it to you. It may not be on my desk right now. Um, but I have a, a heart sensor thing from this organization called HeartMath. And what that does is it tracks your, not just your heartbeat, but your heart rhythm. So like the hertz and the frequencies of your heart's energy. Um, when you're in a state that HeartMath calls coherent, it's when your physiological and your psychological self are in tandem and they're in like a good rhythm together. And it has a, a, an ability to measure this. And it increases the health of your body. So I'm saying this is like there's a visual scientific evidence-based way to show how when we come into our inner peace and when we come into ourselves, that we do generate healing in our bodies because we increase our body's resiliency, right? 
and the how of getting there can be difficult. Sure. You can get a tool like this Bluetooth sensor from HeartMath. I'm like, not even, I don't even like, I'm not a sponsor for them. Like, just check it out if you're interested. Because what it showed me is that while watching an app on my phone, um, I can drop out of thought into my heart or I can go into thinking and it changes my heart rhythm, not my heartbeat, not my beats per minute. Like they're still just trucking along, like between 60 and 64 usually. Um, but it changes my, the sine waves of my heart rhythm. And when I drop out of thinking, out of story, out of analysis, everything comes in to coherence in a way that just shocked me how quick it was. And I was like, oh, this is like a really great meditation assist. It's an amazing tool to help you come into yourself. And it was like, or the result of a a body scan, getting into the self to see it. I'm going to tie this back in. So to come into ourselves is when we are in our truth, when we are in our real selves. And it's because we've let go of the need of having to please all these other people. When we are pulled out of our alignment, out of our truth, out of our inner self, that is because of society and programming. Like what do good girls do? What does it mean to make people happy? How do you best serve others? And I'm not saying that being in service to others is wrong. Like that's a very helpful and like key part of life as humanity is that we have communities and we take care of one another. But there are ways that we can be forced to care for because we have no boundaries. We don't have permission to have our own space. And then we are constantly overextended and we get our value from rescuing, caring for others, helping others. You can see this happening in work environments uh, quite a bit where there's always a hero and a rescuer to come and put out the fire, but there's not a person who allows everyone to be enabled and and, and uh, empowered themselves to collectively solve the problem. Usually what we have instead are like heroes and rescuers, persecutors and victims. And no one in that scenario is um, in alignment with themselves. It's basically like creating kind of dysfunctional family relationships. And I know that people can identify with that happening in a workplace, but let's go back to ourselves and our own ability to set, to set spaces for it. So going to my client here, who's worried about not being able to, to, to follow through on what they need to do, um, to be in their truth and in their own selves, um, they have resistance and they had their own personal story for what their resistance was. And that's fine. It it could be anything. It could be for somebody being like, well, I, I never could do it anyway. So I'm just not going to try. It's not worth it. Right. That could be a, a resistance. Like, why would I even bother trying? I've just proven to myself that I can't do it. Why would I do it? Or it could be like, I'm not supposed to do this. Um, This is not how it's supposed to go for me. Everyone in my family is really, really healthy. I'm supposed to be healthy too. Why me? Right? Like it can kind of be like a little bit of like they're they're defeated because it's not supposed to be this way. The expectation is outside of alignment with the belief that they have. And so they won't, they, they hit resistance. Those thoughts keep them from coming into choosing themselves. Because like at a human, factual, objective level, they know if I tweak this diet this way because I'm autoimmune and that thing doesn't affect my system very well, or I decide to take on this kind of new exercise class because I'll just feel better, 
right? The resistance can get in the way a lot. And it's the reason so many of us stay stuck, right? We know the thing we're supposed to do, but the resistance is here. It can be any number of stories that sound incredibly true and incredibly compelling, but I'm here to tell you that they are just energy in the way of you and yourself. And I did that whole other diatribe about what does it mean to be in ourself? Because I want you to know the benefit of being in yourself, that there's healing and regenerative properties here, that you can increase your resilience. And then here's the thing, the pressure to be here in our society is so strong. I want to tell you, I'm not here all the time. Okay. It's not about being perfect at being here all the time. The practice is recognizing the thing that's keeping you outside of it. So here's your alignment. And I'm sorry, if you're on a podcast, I'm just realizing you should watch the video for this. Cause I keep using my hands to show inner alignment. And then this like adjacent space to the side of where resistance can show up. The work, the work for so many of us who are stuck, it's not about being perfect meditators or being perfectly in alignment or living our truth in the most best way possible. The truth is actually a lot more boring, sorry, and kind of intensive in its repetitiveness, which is noticing the resistance and calling it for what it is, even though it tells you, it tells you you're not good enough. Go, oh, you're just resistance. Back off, right? Or like, you shouldn't have to do this. That's just resistance. It's the energy of resistance saying those things to you to keep you out of your truth. Now, why would the energy of resistance have any interest in keeping you outside of your truth? Well, let's just look collectively at like the planet, right? Who benefits if half of us are oppressed? Who benefits if a lot of us judge ourselves really harshly and don't take big steps, right? Like who who's winning? right now and not caring about who they step on or what people think. You know, some people are winning in like really good ways and being very ethical about it and making good choices and supporting and uplifting others. And some people are making it and crushing the crap out of a lot of people because they have power, strength, and pull to do so. And they're just in it for number one. So you can show up I would even say that those people aren't really in their truth either because there's a fear. If they're crushing other people under them, they're afraid of the power of other people. So they have to squash them and that's how they maintain their power. So they're not in their truth either. The only ones who are in our truth are the ones who are maybe not super wealthy or maybe we are super wealthy, who knows? Um, But they're they're the ones who are doing well to themselves and they're not harming anyone else, right? Like it's that do unto others as you would do unto yourself. And so like that works in the good and the bad way. Let's do unto ourselves really, really, really well, and then do the same for others. And because we've done, here's this little piece of insight. I want to say, if you have boundaries around how you'll treat yourself, as well as how you'll allow others to treat you, you'll have enough space to say no. If you don't have boundaries, you can't say no. And then you can never give out of generosity. You are give out of obli- you have to give out of obligation, which is basically enslavement. And I don't use that word lightly. I understand that it has much deeper, obviously deeper roots. But liberation is for everyone. And we can talk about it from the social constructs of what has happened in our world around enslavement and liberation and the continuing move for liberation for people. And we can also talk about it in our own selves. 
If we are always obligated to be doing and overextending, we are never able to actually choose for ourselves. We're able actually to come into our own alignment. We are living for others. And if we live for ourselves, we have the space to understand the choices that we can make. And then we can choose to give in ways that support us and others in ways that are much more holistic, much more centered, and much more aligned with who we really are. And so getting back into what I was talking with my client about today, it wasn't about, they use the word discipline. They're like, I need to be more disciplined at making the good choices. And I was like, yeah, discipline to make the good choices is putting discipline in the wrong place. The discipline is really about disempowering the resistance and just calling resistance every single time it shows up. Oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Oh, that's resistance. And not supposed to do this. When I say that, I mean, like in the scenario where like, their family's all healthy. So they're not supposed to have health issues, right? Like I'm not supposed to be going through this. Like, that's what I mean. That's resistance. That's keeping them from choosing themselves and making like a different lifestyle choice or healthcare practice choice or um, medical choice, right? They have to make the choices for themselves, not let the resistance tell the story. And that can be really hard if you had a family like mine, where if you got sick, it was your own fault, and you got blamed for it, maybe shamed for it. Like all of that, all of that training is also just the judgment and the resistance that our forebears had and carried through and did not interrupt in time so it didn't get to you. But you have a choice to do it now. I say that so lightly and it can be so difficult. It's a process. It's about disempowering the resistance that gets in the way of you coming home to yourself. So you can choose yourself. For so many of us, choosing ourselves is such a radical act. It's why I said earlier, rest is radical. Choosing ourselves, I need to take a 20-minute nap, not get this thing done for so, so and so, right? Resting is radical. Choosing ourselves so that we can have space, we can have a boundary, so we can say, yes, I want to take that on. No, that is not mine to have. Thank you very much. Move along. Okay. I think that's quite long enough for today. So to recap a little bit, the first part of it was judgment. Judgment is other people's fear coming at you. It's not yours to handle, but it can be hard. I know it can be hard when it's entangled in its family or its close friends, but judgment is really a reflection of the thing that they are most afraid of, and it has nothing to do with you, but they will often weave it into stories that try to convince you that it's really all about you, but really it's about how you affect them. And that's not your job to handle. It's their job to handle their own stuff. And ideally that there are a couple people or just you get to learn to practice this for yourself where you just get to sit in compassionate awareness that this is happening. This is hard. I don't like this, but it's not my place to judge and it's not their place to judge either, right? So that's the first thing, judgment, getting in the way of the ability for us to choose ourselves. And the second part of it is around doing the thing that we know we should do that can be so hard because something is always getting in the way and we end up choosing distraction as opposed to ourselves. And that is naming the resistance. The resistance loses power. It is disempowered when you call it out for what it is. And it is so sneaky because it shows up in so many ways. It shows up as analytical arguments in favor of not doing the thing that's good for you. It ends up as just making you kind of go unconscious and blank out and go like mindlessly snack in the kitchen for an hour instead of dealing with the thing that just came up, right? 
it is so so disguised so often but the more you start to notice that you have not chosen yourself the thing that you know was good for you look back a half step to the thing that got in the way the phrase the word the thought the memory the feeling the pattern uh the self punishment the self judgment all of that is the energy of resistance in its million and billion one faces and you just name it like oh sneaky sneaky you were disguised as my voice and you sounded really really authentic and true and you made me almost go eat a pint of ice cream cuz like i literally did really want to do that the other night and i had some it was so good but i didn't eat all of it which is what i wanted to do and um like you name the resistance you're getting in the way of me choosing myself you can choose yourself and that's the work and it takes time and some of you will pick it up in like a day, right? Like maybe one of you will figure it out in a day and be like, wow, awesome. But most of us are going to take a while. It's going to be a practice that we have to build, noticing what the resistance is, like six months, a year, I don't, I don't know, 10 years. I don't know. Like for me, how long has it taken me to get to where I am? I have, I don't know. I've been working on different levels of resistance for like 15 years, right? And it's awesome and it's hard and it's boring. It's really boring sometimes. I want to say that, but it's doable and you feel better for having done it. It's worth the doing of it because you no longer have this like negative harping voice in the background, right? Or you don't have the weight of this feeling of incompletion or not enoughness getting dragged along with you like a ball and chain. That shit starts to go away. It's like so good. I have like, I just don't even know how to articulate to you how good it feels to stop listening to it. And choose yourself. And then more will, you'll notice other areas where it's tucked away and you've got to make those choices again and again, but you'll get better at it. It's not, it's not um, impossible. It's not just for like mystical, spiritual people. It's for everybody. Everybody can come home to themselves. And we just have to start noticing the resistance that keeps us separate from ourselves. And we can make the choices. And it might take a while. You might not do very great at it for a bit. And that's okay because we're strengthening our ability to disempower resistance. And that's step one. Step two is being and choosing ourselves every single time, right? And it won't always be every single time. There's always going to be something that comes up that's compelling because we live in a world that's rich with like analysis and puzzles and things to think about because why else were we born humans? I don't know. We're the ones that do this. We create some chaos, but we get some really great, rich learning out of it once we realize that chaos is an opportunity to start to peel away the layers at what's really driving this, what's really driving this lesson. Okay. I'm going to leave you there for now. That was a lot. Um, Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in today and listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And if you love the show, leave a five-star review so others can find us. To learn more about my work and what I do, go to ellenwyomingdeloy.com. Thanks. See you next time.